This episode of The Outside Podcast is sponsored by Hydroflask, maker of beautifully designed insulated bottles, cups, coolers, and a range of gear for your outdoor kitchen. Hydroflask is also a company that believes every adventure starts with two simple words. Let's go. No matter how many times I go riding, I always get so excited. It's like always something new. It's just awesome. This is professional mountain biker and Hydroflask ambassador, Elliot Jackson. And I'm going to show you how we go trail riding. Like a lot of riders, Elliot enjoys his morning coffee, which he always takes in a Hydroflask 12 ounce vacuum insulated mug. The first step when we wake up is we need coffee. That's like step one, probably step two and step three, maybe step four. And then like down the line, there's some like riding going on. Once he's adequately caffeinated, Elliot makes sure he has the right gear for his day. You don't have to have expensive stuff. It's really about making sure you're safe so you can go out and have fun. So the first thing is bibs. You need to make sure that you can be comfortable the whole time you're riding. So they have this pad at the bottom. I love wearing long sleeve jerseys and then our knee pads. I wear gloves, socks. I don't know if any of you have ever worn socks, but they're good. We're always gonna be wearing a helmet. Finally, Elliot fills up the bladder of his Hydroflask Downshift Hydration Hip Pack. This is our bladder for our hip pack, and you can just like take quick swigs. Hydroflask wants you to get out there and enjoy yourself, just like Elliot, which is why the Downshift, like all their insulated mugs and hydration packs, is designed to keep your beverages at the temperatures you like them. I like to have a lot of water. <laughs> Shop for yourself or for the outdoor lovers on your holiday list this season at hydroflask.com. And we are off. From Outside Magazine, this is the Outside Podcast. When someone wants to make a positive difference in the world, there are the usual ways to go. They might volunteer their time or make a financial donation or offer their unique skills to an organization. And then there are people like Mike McCastle. Mike is a 34-year-old Navy veteran and performance coach who has found the most unusual ways to do good. Over the last eight years, he has made a difference through a series of agonizing physical challenges. For the latest installment in our Forces of Good series, outside producer Marin Larson brings us the story of a man on a mythic quest to use his extraordinary tolerance for suffering to benefit others. I'm Mike McCastle. Welcome to Jackass. <laughs> Mike McCastle is sitting in his living room in Bethel, Alaska, with his dog Atlas and a few friends, haltingly listing his vital signs to followers on Instagram Live. So right now my oxygen saturation is at 99%. My heart rate's sitting at about 90. And my core temperature is, core temp's at 99. Hopefully I can maintain that. Now fuck that, I will maintain that. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna get, I'm gonna get hotter. Mike is submerged up to his shoulders in ice and snow, inside a makeshift box made from tape, plastic wrap, and PVC pipes. He's simultaneously trying to break a world record raising money for Parkinson's research, and tackling the latest in a series of grueling challenges he set himself. Focusing on my breath. Every breath that I take in, I'm just fueling that flame. Mike's dad passed away in 2014 after years of suffering from Parkinson's and a host of other ailments, including heart conditions and cancers. One of the symptoms 
that those who suffer from Parkinson's experience this rigidity, feeling of being frozen. It was one of the symptoms that my dad suffered from when he was alive. I feel frozen now, but I could, I have a choice. I could relieve myself from this at any time. Mike is big on metaphors. Today, he plans to sit frozen in ice for three hours to raise money for the Brian Grant Foundation, which provides support for people with Parkinson's. This will become his eighth feat in an undertaking that is literally the stuff of legends, Greek ones specifically. The half-god, half-human hero Heracles, or as you might know him from Roman or Disney mythology, Hercules, is best known for his accomplishment of 12 nearly impossible labors. According to legend, Heracles, who was the son of Zeus, took on the tasks as penance for murdering his wife and children, which he did during a fit of madness induced by his father's jealous wife, Hera. To atone for his crimes, Heracles slayed the many-headed Hydra, stole a herd of man-eating horses, and captured the three-headed dog Cerberus, ultimately absolving himself of his sins and becoming the greatest of Greek heroes. Several thousand years later, Mike, the whole human child of two Air Force veterans, was brought up in Illinois and New Mexico on a steady diet of philosophy and legend. His father used to read him and his sister the works of classic thinkers, with a particular focus on the Stoics, Seneca, Marcus Aurelius, Epicurus, who believed that a meaningful, virtuous life was the result of personal fortitude. My father taught me a lot of things. He taught me resilience. He taught me grit. He was a man of few words, but he taught me a lot of things through his actions in the way he handled the cards that life dealt him. That stoic philosophy, along with a proclivity for allegory, eventually led Mike to dream up his own Heracles-like effort, which he calls the Twelve Labors Project. The idea started when Mike was hitting a personal low point. In 2012, he was following the footsteps of his parents into the military, training to be a Navy SEAL in San Diego, when he took a bad jump during a beach run and blew out both of his knees, ending any chance he had of joining the SEALs. He was, he was jumping down uh, or jumping up on something, and somehow both his knees just blew out, basically. And that was it for him. That's journalist Julian Smith, who wrote a profile about Mike McCastle for Outside in October. After he learned that he wasn't going to be able to join the SEALs, he hit a, a real low uh, physically and mentally. He was really depressed. Since childhood, Mike had felt most alive when he was pushing his body to its limit— whether it was in basketball in his teens or through the intensive training regimen he developed when he entered the Navy. This tendency is what had driven him to try out for the SEALs in the first place. And now, his body had failed him. But instead of shying away from the pain after his injury, he dove back into it headfirst. This time, with the conviction that his effort should be in the benefit of others. I was really just getting into exploring that concept of how far am I willing to push my body in service to something that's greater than myself. So I ran a 50K with a 40-pound vest on around Seattle, and I did it for children's cancer. Picked a cause that I thought was worthy, and I wanted to see how far I was willing to push my body. I'm not good at baking cookies, and I'm all right at washing cars, but I wanted to do something where the, uh, the physical effort matched the cause itself. Mike had never even run a marathon before, let alone more than 30 miles. And here he was doing 50 kilometers while wearing a 40-pound vest. 
to symbolize, he says, the average weight of a four-year-old battling leukemia. It went about as well as you'd expect. I was wrecked. I was wrecked. Um, But I finished it. I finished it. So um, when I finished it, it sparked the curiosity in me to kind of see what else I could do. Before starting the run, Mike had posted a link on social media encouraging people to follow his progress on the fitness app Strava and make donations to support cancer research at Seattle Children's Hospital. And with that, the 12 Labors Project was born, a series of physical and mental challenges steeped in metaphor and fueled by Stoic philosophy, designed to push Mike to his limits in the service of worthy causes. And each one seems to be more intense than the next. But there's this there's this through line of, of this philosophy that pushes him and working towards the greater good. And meanwhile, suffering almost more than it's possible to really imagine for normal people like you and me. For his next labor, Mike set out to break the world record for the most pull-ups in 24 hours, which he attempted to do in a city park in his town of Oak Harbor in northwest Washington. So the first time he tried to break the the pull-up record was in July 2014, and he started and it just it wasn't going well. His body really started to basically break down. He was really struggling. And he he made it to 3,200 after about 17 hours. And that was about 800 short of the record. And he had pushed himself so hard, he ended up in the hospital for a couple of days. Mike had failed to complete the labor and in the process developed rhabdomyolysis, a condition where the breakdown of muscles can cause fatal kidney damage. Still, his suffering had raised more than $10,000 for the Wounded Warrior Project, which offers services to military veterans wounded in battle. And as Mike would learn when he was recovering in the hospital, his impact went beyond the financial contributions. There's a TV in my in my bedroom, and I could just see the USA Today and the uh, the local news stories, and my story was on there. You know. The bid to pull up has grounded Mike McCaskill. I attempted to break the world record for most pull-ups in 24 hours. Sailor hospitalized after failed pull-up challenge. The 27-year-old Navy sailor was raising money for the Wounded Warrior Project. Even though I had, you know, did it for a good cause and I raised a lot of money, which I'm proud of, in my mind, I, I had failed what I set out to do. At the time, I just couldn't see it any other way. And I remember distinctly this one kid had came into my room. He was in bad shape, this kid. I mean, he was like, hello, sir. I just want to say thank you for what you did. He shook my hand. And he said that um, he had never seen anyone do anything like that. I had an epiphany in that moment. Even at my lowest moment, even at my lowest point, I had, a, I had an opportunity to lead. I had an opportunity to make a lasting impact on somebody. Even in failure, even in the attempt, I could still impact people in a positive way. I could lift this kid up. And from then on, the mindset shifted going into every labor going forward. Like, even if I fail, I need to embrace that. I need to accept that because somebody can always be inspired even in your failures, even in your setbacks. But while Mike had learned to embrace his failures, he wouldn't count this one towards his 12 labors. And he knew that even after he recovered, he wasn't going to be in any condition to go for the pull-ups record, which meant that he was going to have to get creative. My upper body's wrecked. I can still do something. I can still do something. And, you know, looking back now, like, that's just my dad talking through me. You know, like, you know, son, you could still do something. Like, you you might not be able to use your arms, but you got your legs, you got your back. 
So Mike decided that he would flip a truck tire for 13 miles, or 137 laps across the parking lot of his CrossFit gym. And this time, the labor would support mental health services for military veterans. Every labor that I do, the object that I use to perform the labor, ties into the cause itself. So for me, flipping that tire over and over symbolized the heavy emotional weight that people with PTSD or traumatic brain injuries or depression from their time in service suffer from. And the fact that I have, I had the option to stop flipping that tire, I had the option to walk away, I had the option to roll the tire. These service men and women don't always have that option and they flip that tire for the rest of their life. And um, I wanted my labor to be a physical expression of that. But Mike's labor would also end up being a physical expression of the emotional weight he was carrying. The day before he was going to make his attempt, he got a phone call from his sister in Chicago, letting him know that his dad had died. I had every reason to postpone that challenge. I had every reason to quit. But, you know, what would he have done in that moment? You know, he would have said, I'm gone, but, you know, live your life with purpose. And whatever, whatever you find to do, you do with all your heart, you do with all your might. You don't half-ass it. You go all the way. And um, I woke up the next morning and uh, I flipped that tire for 13 miles straight. No one would have judged him for setting aside his self-imposed trial that day of all days. But Mike pushed on. Maybe it was the voice of his father or the ultimate culmination of his stoic philosophy or maybe simply a physical way to get through his grief. There was a few times where he describes very clearly seeing the the exit door there. You know, you can just take the easy way out. And what any maybe normal person would do is say, you know, this is it. This is enough. But somehow he always seems to take the other door. The big question is, why? What compels Mike to keep choosing the hard way? And what makes him believe in his own myth? That's coming up after the break. At the top of the episode, professional mountain biker Elliot Jackson told us how he gets ready for the trail, starting with coffee in his Hydroflask 12-ounce vacuum-insulated mug. After arriving at the trailhead, he puts his safety plan into action. I can't stress enough that I always want to text people when I get to the trails to just to let people know where I'm at. It's really important just to make sure you know you don't get lost or stuck, or if you do crash, uh, that somebody knows where you're at. Safety is key. A big part of safety is proper trail etiquette. You really want to make sure when you're checking out lines that you're looking up the trail or you have somebody scouting for you and letting people know that somebody is there. To have the most fun out there, says Elliot, you got to pick the right lines to ride. For the beginner, I'm really trying to find the smoothest lines possible. Tires aren't sliding, and I can let off the brakes, cruise on down. This intermediate one, I'm going to hop over this rock, maybe take a little bit more speed, find a couple little hops, let my bike work. Here's the advance. We're going to hop, float, <laughs> and just have fun with it. Hydroflask has partnered with Elliot and other inspiring outdoor professionals on a new video series called How We Go that has them sharing tips to help people of all skill levels get more out of their favorite outdoor activities. I love being outside because it gives me a sense of freedom and I feel like the bike was a gateway into the outdoors. I wasn't ever like a camper or anything like that and the bike let me experience things that I wouldn't have otherwise. To watch episodes of How We Go on everything from camp cooking and yoga 
to fly fishing and bouldering, follow Hydroflask on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. I'm Elliot Jackson, and this is how I go. Hey, everyone. One more thing before we get back to our story. If you're a fan of the Outside Podcast, then there's another podcast that I'm sure you'll like, Overheard at National Geographic, a show that takes you to the edges of our big, weird, beautiful world. In their latest episodes, you'll meet a wildlife warrior who's passionate about saving the Serengeti's iconic animals. Get to know entire communities around the planet who have been living in caves for thousands of years and plunge into the sea with divers devoted to advancing Jacques Cousteau's legacy. You can find Overheard at National Geographic wherever you like to listen. What Mike McCastle does, putting himself through extreme physical challenges to inspire others and to raise money and awareness for causes, can be hard to buy into. It can be easy to think that he's really in it for the press or for the glory of breaking yet another world record. But according to journalist Julian Smith, who has been following his story for years, Mike is a true believer. You know, in the cold, hard numbers, he has raised, you know, tens of thousands of dollars for charity and donations for a bunch of these different organizations. And, you know, awareness is always kind of a amorphous concept, but that's always very important to him to make it clear that this is not just some crazy guy trying to set a record. He's doing what he does best to help uh, the causes and the people he cares about the most. He wouldn't be doing this shit if it wasn't for the greater good. And it's it's really, <laughs> as you know, as a writer, you're, you're really trying to puncture these 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 myths. You're like, come on, that can't really be. But I haven't been able to. From all the time I've spent with him, all the people I've talked to, including his mother, people he's known for, you know, years or decades, they're all like, the two things they say is like, yeah, he is not normal. And yeah, he is totally for real. In other words, the myth of Mike McCastle is true. Or at least it's true to the man himself. And that is enough to fuel him through repeated exposure to an incredible amount of self-imposed pain. That stoic self-discipline, Julian argues, is what makes Mike's quest so insane and so alluring. Just, it's him and his mind and his body, really. And that's, there's no finish line. You know, there's no crowds. There's no coaches. It's just him. After the death of his father, Mike doubled down on his labors, knocking out a new one about once a year and raising money along the way for Parkinson's research and veterans' causes. His third labor was climbing a rope, the equivalent of the height of Mount Everest. It took Mike nearly 27 hours to do it, going up and down a rope in Oak Harbor. He then made another go at the 24-hour pull-up world record, which by 2015 had jumped by nearly 2,500 since his first attempt. And he decided to make it even harder by wearing a 30-pound pack. I wanted that pack to represent the burden that they that they wear, whether it's emotional or physical scars of war. He ended up doing 5,804 pull-ups in 24 hours. And Mike kept going and going. He pulled a Ford pickup truck for 22 miles across Death Valley. His sixth labor was, he ran 20 miles a day for 100 days. Day 100, mile one. Home stretch, almost there. I just finished uh, mile 20, it is done. Then number seven was another truck pull that was in 2020. 
he pulled a pickup truck for 10 miles uh, across the Arctic Circle, and he was also wearing 50 pounds of chains. And then number eight was the record for being encased in ice. Hearing that list, you might again find yourself questioning Mike's motives. Maybe you're thinking, this guy just has a thing for pain. But Mike insists that the pain isn't the goal. It's a tool. And the last thing he wants is to glorify it. What I don't want to do is to tell people that you have to suffer to achieve anything. You don't have to suffer to be successful. You don't have to go plunge yourself in in ice water or go and um, do thousands of pull-ups to be successful. Suffering is not correlated with success. It's just one vehicle. It's just one way of doing it. Today, a lot of people, they have this idea in this head that they have to put themselves through a great degree of pain or they have to fabricate some like dark past that they have, like Batman, and, and draw from that. But for me, it's like I can push myself to do 5,000 pull-ups or, or pull a truck. I can push myself to do those things with gratitude, with love, with compassion. And yet, Mike is the first to admit that when he's in the throes of his labors, he becomes selfish out of necessity. As anyone who has done a charity marathon can attest, when you're deep in the pain cave, the only person you can rely on is yourself. When I'm mile 15 or 16 into the truck pull, I'm not thinking of veteran suicide. I'm not thinking of the organizations and the charities and where the money's going to. I'm thinking of survival. I'm thinking of like, what? where's the connections that I need to make in my mind and my body in order to take one more step forward? That is all I'm thinking about. And once the labor is done, once the challenge is done, those layers come back on and I start to feel the gratitude and compassion and like, this was good, this is for a great cause. That's a reality that it it took a long time for me to kind of admit and come to terms with because it's very selfish to admit that, you know, it's very selfish. Like, yeah, I did those pull-ups, but you know, I did it for me. Like that was 100% for me. I needed to do the next pull-up. I needed to do 10 more on the minute, every minute. I need to do that. But a lot of people skip over the selfish part. Like, I feel like they don't want to admit the, that part, that dark space that where there's like, no, you're, you're, you're doing this for you. Mike promoted his first four labors through social media, news outlets, and partnering nonprofits in an effort to raise awareness for important causes. But he found that the attention was often focused on him, and he realized that he had begun to crave that validation. So for his fifth labor, he decided that he needed to know what he could do when no one was watching. In secret, he planned to travel to Death Valley and pull a 2.6-ton truck loaded with 25 gallons of water across the flat, baking-hot expanse of the Mojave Desert. Naturally, this was a symbolic choice. Veteran Suicide was the charity he had in mind there, and the idea was, you know, be completely all alone in the middle of nowhere, struggling with something that just seems far too huge to do on your own, and showing that it is possible to actually do that. Mike purposefully isolated himself. He didn't post about the labor on social media and opted not to have any support people or observers with him in the desert. He'd carry a satellite phone for safety, and that was it. But word got out, and a woman named Jennifer Willis drove out from her nearby home in Nevada. And so she decided to show up, basically just to kind of keep an eye out for him. So he shows up, she's there, she says, you know, I'd like to you know, kind of watch. And he's like, no, you know, that's, that's kind of antithetical to what I was trying to do here. I wanted to do this alone. You know, I don't want any help. 
I basically don't want anybody to know about it. And she just said, I'll stay far away, but I'm not going to let you just drag yourself into the desert and possibly die. So he, he finally said, OK, you can do it as long as you, you know, give me a lot of space. Jennifer kept her promise. She stayed in her truck far ahead of him on the road, keeping watch at a distance. At about mile 15, Mike started to lose his resolve. He'd torn his hamstring. I'm in really bad shape, and I kept hitting a, a point where the, the car would stop because it hit a rut, and I, I needed the strength to generate enough force to get over the rut. And it's midday, and the sun is just beating down on me. And uh, yeah, I was like, this is it. And I remember sitting down in front of the, in front of the truck. I had my, my sat phone literally in my hand. I'm like, I'm going to call this. Like, this is, this is done. It was at this point, when he was all set to give up, that Mike saw Jennifer's car. It was like a mirage. I remember seeing her taillights. And I had pushed this lady away. I did not want because I, I wanted to experience a solitude. I wanted to know what it's like in the mind of someone who's going through like a deep, deep depression. I wanted to f- experience that. She was the only person who asked to go out to Death Valley with me out of everyone. And I said, no, I don't want you out there. I don't want to be responsible for your safety. I want to do this alone. And she was persistent and she pressed. And, and, and like in hindsight, I'm like, how many people are going through like depression and they just push people away? And here I was like trying to fool myself like I didn't need anyone. I saw this, just this taillights, something about like, I'm not out here alone. Like someone's out here. And if she's willing to, to be out here with me, even though I like pushed her away, I'm gonna give this another shot. I'm just, I didn't feel alone anymore. She didn't have to say a word to me. All I needed to know was that somebody was there. And so I went to the back of my truck and I ate a whole half of a, a Hawaiian pizza. And then I gave it another effort. I got the truck out of the rut and it was, it was good from that moment on. And I finished the labor, but I don't know if I would have finished if it weren't for those taillights. If I was truly alone out there, I don't know. In setting out to prove that he could overcome an isolation designed to mimic the deepest levels of despair, Mike had actually demonstrated just how vital the support of other humans can be. And as his labors have progressed from there, the mental and emotional aspect of each challenge has become even more present. Maybe because he's getting older, in a body which has endured numerous injuries. Or maybe because his mind is the last part of himself that he can put to the test. I want to explore that fringe. I want to explore that edge of what can I control with my mind on the precipice of what people think is impossible. Which is how he ended up packed into a box of ice and snow in his living room in Alaska. Almost up. Good job, Mike. Thank you. Good job, man. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. There is, of course, a big physical component to making yourself this cold. For one, Mike has to methodically control his breathing. But unlike his previous labors, there will be no strain on his muscles and tendons. Part of this challenge is a curiosity of where will my mind go when I'm, when I'm just sitting in ice, when I'm feeling that extreme amount of pain. Part of this is wanting to explore where my mind goes when every cell in my body is screaming for me to quit and I have nowhere else to go. Relax, okay, relax. Mike lasts two hours and 40 minutes in the ice. 
surpassing the world record by five minutes. I'm getting the fuck out of this box. As he puts another successful labor behind him, there's another big challenge on the horizon. He just recently got married, and he and his wife are expecting a son. And so this is kind of starting the whole story over again. You know, he's he's drawn so much inspiration from his, his own father's challenges and struggles and how he faced those. And now he has somebody to inspire in his own way. The big changes in his life may force Mike to lay aside his Herculean tasks for a while, or at least think differently about the trials he chooses to take on. But Julian has no doubt that he will finish them. You would uh, not be smart to underestimate this guy. I would, I definitely would put my money on him finishing it eventually. Who knows how long it will take. So he has four left. And he says he's in no hurry. You know, he has the rest of his life. He's looking for, you know, some that he can maybe do when he's 50 or 60. It'll be really interesting to see what kinds of labors he moves into now as he talks about doing them more mentally as, as opposed to just purely physically. All I have is this moment and this moment and the next to deliver the message that I want to deliver. And if I don't get a second more after that, I'm okay with it. You can follow Mike McCastle on Instagram. He's at Mike McCastle. This episode was written and produced by Marin Larson and edited by me, Michael Roberts. It was based on Julian Smith's feature for Outside, the record-setting life of Mike McCastle. You can read that at OutsideOnline.com. Music for this episode by Louis Weeks. This episode was brought to you by Hydroflask, maker of beautifully designed insulated bottles, cups, and coolers, and a company that believes that every adventure starts with two simple words. Let's go. Shop Hydroflask products for yourself or the outdoor lovers on your holiday list this season at Hydroflask.com. The Outside Podcast is made possible by the support of our Outside Plus members. Learn more and join at OutsideOnline.com slash OutsidePLUS. Outside podcast listeners get 25% off an Outside Plus membership with the coupon code OutsidePod. That's OutsidePod, all lowercase.